morning, everybody. Welcome to Hope Church. My name is Will Stern, the pastor of Hope, and I know that probably quite a few are watching online because I know a lot of people are on their summer travels and vacations that they put off for the last year and a half. Um, and so if you're watching online, you can get the uh, bulletin at explorehopechurch.org. Uh, and then click on the watch tab and you'll see the bulletin of the PDF there. Uh, for those of you in person, hopefully you got your order of worship. And really the announcements are, are the same as last week. We're uh, beginning our Sunday school, our next season of that on August 22nd. And that'll be after our congregational meeting on August 15th. Uh, and also starting up around that same time will be our connect groups beginning in the fall. So you'll have more details on those uh, coming. Uh, but as we prepare to, to worship, let's take a moment and prepare our hearts to come before a holy and a righteous God. Please stand with me if you're able. And our call to worship is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 12. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make, him, his, make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we do proclaim that, that great in our midst is the Holy One of Israel, that you are the Holy One of your covenant people throughout the ages, that you are holy, holy, holy Lord Almighty. There is none beside you, that, that you are set apart from all that is evil, all that is opposed to your nature. Uh, Lord, you are all-knowing, all-caring. You are all-present. Uh, Lord, you are with us, yet you are independent of us. And so, Lord, we come to, to worship you because you have made the way open to us to worship you through the cross, through the uh, the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. And, and so, Lord, we come today boldly calling upon your name, but also we pray that we would come in humility knowing that um, it's only through the blood of Christ that we're here. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you look across the page, we'll sing praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Shelters the un 
Sure of you, you'll be seated. If you turn the page, uh, as we move into our renewal cycle, you'll see a confession of sin. Uh, and this is taken from one of the early reformers in the Protestant Reformation named Zwingli. And so we're going to read these words together, uh, but then we'll move into a time of silent prayer where we can take the concepts of the, of the words, kind of make them our own, reflect on our own lives and hearts in light of what we read together. So please join me. Lord, we cry to you to heal our wounds. We call to you in distress and plead for your salvation. We have sinned against your law and failed to do your will. We confess that we've disobeyed your holy word. We pray Purge our lives of selfishness and our hearts of bitterness. Lead us back to righteousness. Save us through Jesus Christ. Amen. Here are our assurance of pardon taken from the words of Paul in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access to his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And so look across the page. We'll stand if you're able, and we'll sing, He will hold me fast, which he will.
peaceful hold we fast, precious in his holy sight. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life. He will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight. When he comes at last. He will hold me fast. New Testament reading today comes from 1 John 2, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. This is um, an amazing portion of scripture because the love that the Apostle John had for the early church is so evident, but it's also extremely humbling as we try to live for Jesus. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked. pray together. Lord God, we acknowledge the, the service of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that he came to serve and to, to love. And Lord, we know that as he washed the, the feet of the disciples, that he commanded us to go and do likewise, to, to serve each other. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to, to build that culture here at Hope Church, that we would serve each other well, love each other well in a way that um, is different from the world around us, Lord, and is a light shining in darkness. And Lord, we pray for our denomination, the PCA, that we would be a church that loves well and serves well. And we pray for the church throughout the world, that it would be a church of service, that we would pour ourselves out, loving our enemy, loving our neighbor. Lord, we pray that, that we also could be a church of, of hospitality, this, this other expression of service, that as we have more ability to have people in our homes and in person, Lord, we pray that you would continue to, 
to reverse some of the, the necessary trends of isolation that has characterized our lives for the last year, that, that we wouldn't just be comfortable alone, but that we would seek to reach out to have people in our lives and our homes, and, and that we could especially welcome those who may not have um, someone to spend time with or might feel lonely or um, might feel like no one is caring for them. Lord, I pray that our eyes would be open for those people and to love them even when it can be hard to, to love. Lord, we pray as well for our evangelism as a church that we would be bold in proclaiming who Jesus is, what he has done, the hope that is in him, the, the life that is on offer, that we would be um, loving and hospitable and winsome, but also firm in the truth of the word. We pray for renewal and revival again, Lord. We, we pray this so often, but we pray again that, that coming out of this pandemic, that, that we would um, not undervalue the church as we are uh, rightly taking times of, of vacation and, and rest, that as we get back into our routines this fall, we pray for our commitment to your church to, to be a priority, Lord. We pray that, that you would draw people back who've been disconnected from your church in the last year, but we also pray for those who feel the, the need and the weight of not only community and fellowship, but a relationship with you, that, that they would see what is on offer to them in the gospel, Lord. We pray that we could see and experience the fruit of that here at Hope Church, Lord. And so we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, and we pray as our Lord taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So if you don't have a, a Bible with you, you can grab your bulletin. The passage that we're going to be looking at today is there. Uh, we also have it in, in the Pew Bibles. There are some Bibles near you on the seat, and you can use that as well. And, and that, that actually is very good if you don't have a Bible with you, because uh, we will be looking at a few passages in the Bible that are outside of the main text that we're looking at. And so that can be a, a useful tool. Um, and so if you turn to the book of Hosea, and I know that being away last week, we, uh, you've uh, been away somewhat from the book of Hosea. So just a reminder of, of where we are, that we are in the Old Testament. There's the New Testament and there's the Old Testament. So we're, we're looking at the writings before Jesus arrived onto the scene in the flesh on the first Christmas. And we're in a section of scripture called the Prophets. Uh, this was during the, the period of Israel when they had kings that were rebelling against God. And then we're in a section of the prophets called the Minor Prophets. Uh, and they're not called minor because they are less important, but there are these 13 prophets that, and they're short books. That's why if you try to find Hosea in your Bible, you might even use the, the index at the beginning of your, your Bible the, where it lists all the books because it can sometimes be small. Um, and, and so once you find Hosea, we... we are in this book that, that is, is, he's a fairly early prophet, um, writing about 700 BC, about 700 years before the birth of Christ. Um, and at this point, remember, Israel had been divided north and south. So there's the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom in the north uh, is where most of the problems were happening, especially early on, uh, because they were worshiping idols, worshiping false gods. They weren't worshiping in Jerusalem in the south as God had commanded and his word. And so the prophet is coming to call the people back to faithfulness to the Lord. And even before I read the passage, I think it's really helpful to notice how the next few chapters, what we've been coming out of, are these, are these extended periods of judgment where he's laying out systematically his case against Israel. And that can be hard to listen to, hard to, to preach in many ways. Uh, because I, I think of there in Hosea or the prophets in general, you'll, you'll have these hard sections, and then there'll be these windows where the light will shine in and the hope is presented. Uh, but we're in a pretty dark section of the book where there's not a lot of those windows where the rays of the hope of the gospel shines in. 
And so we think, why do we need to listen to the problems of people who lived in a different culture hundreds and thousands of years ago, not hundreds of thousands, but thousands of years ago, <laughs> uh, and hundreds, multiple hundreds. Uh, and why do we need to listen to their problems that we have problems of our own? But the reason that this is significant is because the problems that they had reflect the problems that we have today as well. And so we need the, the warning against them as warning against us as well. And so again, this is Hosea chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read the whole chapter. Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me they cry, My God, we, Israel, know you. Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel. The craftsman made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strange, uh, if it were to yield, strangers would devour it. Israel is swallowed up. Already they are among the nations as a useless vessel. For they have gone up to Assyria. A wild donkey wandering alone, Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. And the king and princes shall soon writhe because of the tribute. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning, they have become to him altars for sinning. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they would be regarded as strange things. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour her strongholds. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, the maker of the universe, we pray for your guidance. Lord, we, we read here in this very passage that if you were to write your laws, ten thousands of them, that by nature we would regard them as strange things. And Lord, that is so often what we do when we read your word. We regard it as strange things, but yet we are the ones who are strange. Uh, your word is true. So, Lord, we pray that you would draw us into your word, that you would shape us by your scripture, that we would understand it and apply it. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you study the origin of the, Christ of the English language, uh, there are lots of influences in English from so many different countries, so many different backgrounds. That's why English can be so complicated and so hard to spell. Uh, but also, if you look at literary influences on our language, uh, people point, off, point out often the influences of Shakespeare, the way that he shaped the English language, uh, but then also the Bible, that quite often we are unaware of the ways that 
that we're actually drawing on biblical language just in the sayings that we so often use. Phrases like writing on the wall uh, from Daniel 5, you'll hear people use that phrase who may not even know the Bible at all, or a shibboleth, or the word talent coming from Matthew 25. Uh, but another phrase that you hear people use from time to time is sow the wind, reap the whirlwind. You'll find occurrences of this in news media. Uh, there, there was a video game, I guess, called Reap the Whirlwind. Uh, there was a Star Trek book called Reap the Whirlwind. Here are a few other examples. During World War II, Sir Arthur Harris used the phrase to explain the British bombing of the Nazis. He said, quote, the Nazis entered this war under the rather childish delusion that they were going to bomb everyone else and no one was going to bomb them. They sowed the wind, and now they're going to reap the whirlwind. Or a few years ago, you may remember the confirmation hearings of Brett Kavanaugh, and before the Senate Judiciary Committee, he said, you sowed the wind. For decades to come, I fear that the whole country will reap the whirlwind. And then Chuck Schumer, the Senate Minority Leader, said this on the Supreme Court steps. He said uh, that you have unleashed the whirlwind and you will pay the price. And so you can see this, this language of sowing the wind, reaping the whirlwind, uh, appearing in our discourse, even in politics. But you say, where does this phrase come from? And it actually comes straight out of the Bible and actually from our text today in Hosea chapter 8. Look at verse 7 again in your Bible. It says, For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. This just shows how Scripture shapes even our language today. But we're not going to focus just on that one phrase. But what we're going to do today is we're going to back up, and we're going to look at this entire chapter, which is the key to understanding that phrase as well. And if you were to say, what is the, the main point of this entire chapter where that saying is found, this is how you could summarize it, that we reject God in favor of lesser things. That we reject God in favor of lesser things. And so you could break that apart, that we reject God. And look at verse 1 in your Bible. You see this image of the, the vulture circling over the house of God. And what that is representing is the, the judgment of God, that the vulture is circling because something is dying, something is dead, and then something is, is coming to devour it. And of course, you say, well, how were they dead? And it was this spiritual deadness because of their rejection of God, that they had mishandled the things of God. And you can see that. In verse 1, it says that they've mishandled God's covenant, that they have transgressed my covenant, God says. Also in verse 1, that they have mishandled God's law. It says that they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. But they also mishandled God's name, verse 2. To me they cry, my God, we, Israel, know you. And so they're, they're claiming the name of God, they're claiming knowledge of God, but it's in falsehood. It's not true knowledge of God. And then it's all summed up in verse 3, where it says that Israel spurned the good. And you say, what is the good that they spurned? Well, Jesus in Mark 10 says that there is no one good but God alone, that, that God himself is a source of true goodness, true life, and so what they're spurning is the good in the ultimate sense, the, the Lord himself, not wanting the creator of the universe. And that is what we can do so often as well, that we spurn the good. We turn away from God. We sow the wind. We reject our creator. And then we do that in favor of lesser things. Because remember, we said that that was the, the main point of this chapter, that we reject God, and we do it in favor of lesser things. That's what we turn to in our rejection of God. And as you look at this passage, there are a lot of details here, and we won't be able to talk about all of them. But we see three ways that they 
chose something that is lesser than God in their rejection. And so the, the first thing that we notice is that we, like Israel, reject God in favor of human leaders, human leaders. Look at verse 4. It says, they made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. And God isn't saying that there's something that he doesn't know in the sense of his infinite knowledge. But what he's saying is that this, this is not his revealed will for the people. That this is, this is not the, the revealed plan. And you remember, even when Israel first set up their kings, when they said, we want a king to rule over us, God gave them the king Saul. But, he, but it was in rejection of the Lord of being king over them that they set up their own leaders. They say, we don't want God, we're going to reject him, and so we want a human authority to lead us. And this is what they were doing at their time, making kings, but not consulting the Lord. But this is something that we are tempted to do as well, that we set up kings, we set up rulers, human leaders in rejection of God, that we think that these leaders can save us. And so it's Trump and the Republicans will save us, or Biden and the Democrats will save us, or it's some other leader will save us, or it's Elon Musk that'll get us to Mars and save us, that, that whatever leader you want to, to put into the, the slot, that this is the leader that you need to look to. This is the leader that you need to rely upon. This is the person who will save you. But then all along, God is saying, they made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. That no human leader can replace God. But yet somehow, throughout all of human history, this is what humans do, that we try to substitute God for human leaders. So we reject God in favor of human leaders. But then second, we also reject God in favor of human religion. Look at, at verse 4 in your Bible. It says, With their silver and gold they made idols for their own destruction. And then jumping down to verse 6, it says, For it is from Israel. The craftsman made it. It is not God. And so the prophet is saying here that, that you take the idols in the land and you flip them over and there is a sticker that tells you where they came from, that it is made in Israel. You know where it came from. You know when it was made. You know who made it. And therefore, there's no way that this can be God because God is eternal. He doesn't have a beginning. He stands outside of time. He's independent. He doesn't have a maker. God is all present. He's not tied to one place or doesn't have his origin to, to one location like these idols. And therefore, there is this profound absurdity of, of worshiping these created things. And we say, well, we don't have idols. Whenever we talk about idolatry in the scriptures, it's so important to say that we also make idols. But rather than mental idols, we rather than metal idols, we make mental idols, uh, that we cobble together our own view of God. And you'll even hear people say sometimes, my view of God, or the God that I worship, that we, we take all these different elements and we kind of throw them into our pot of stone theological soup, and we make something of our own image. Uh, so we take a little bit of classical theism, we throw it into the, the pot that God is all-powerful, God is, is loving. And then we take just a little pinch of Eastern mysticism and we say that we are really part of God. And then we cut up a little bit of pop psychology and we throw it in there that, that God wants us just to feel good about ourselves. And then we, we throw in some prosperity gospel that, that God wants us to be free from all poverty and all sickness, all suffering in this life. And then we maybe throw a little Star Wars in, and we say, Luke, trust your feelings. And then we throw a little bit of Joel Osteen in there, that you can uh, cancel God's plans by speaking negative words. And then maybe if we're, if, we've, if we're really feeling good that day, we'll throw a little bit of 
conspiracy or a little bit of QAnon in there and we'll say that it's a vast conspiracy that only a select few know, but we're part of the, the select few. And so then we, we create our own religion. And it's not the religion of the Bible that it's a religion of our own minds. And then the prophet would say, you know where it came from. And where it came from was our minds. Then it is not God. And so again, are we worshiping the God of the Bible? Or are we worshiping a God of our own imaginations? So we reject God in favor of human leaders. We reject God in favor of human religion. But then third and finally, we reject God in favor of human allies. Human allies. Look at verse 9. It says, For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey, donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. And the kings, king and princes, shall soon writhe because of the tribute. So what is the prophet saying here? Well, he's saying that Israel faced trouble. They faced threat. And we already said that they rejected the good. They rejected God. And therefore, they said, what we really need to do, and maybe this is a subsection of human leaders, but they said, let's make allies of the nations. Let's, let's turn to the strength of human power and human wisdom. Let's turn to Egypt. Let's return to Egypt again. Let's turn to Assyria. Maybe they'll protect us. Let's turn to Babylon. They will save us. Verse 10, they say, let us hire allies among the nations. And this is what we can do as well as the church, that we try to hire allies among the nations. And people say, the church needs allies among the nations and so let's just stop preaching the Old Testament altogether. That preaching the Old Testament can be hard. A lot of the things that people struggle with when they're new to Christianity uh, is actually found in the Old Testament. That's where we see a, a global flood. That's where we see Jonah being swallowed by the great fish. That was where we see the parting of the Red Sea. And that's where we see a lot of very difficult stories of incest and slavery and genocide and, and so we say that this is a lot to explain to a, a post-Christian culture and we've seen this even in the book of Hosea that preaching the book of Hosea is hard hearing a sermon series in the book of Hosea is hard and so if you want to just be seeker sensitive that the answer is let's just focus on the the nice parts of scripture the easy parts of scripture and there's even a, a pastor, Andy Stanley, who has a lot of good things to, to say. Uh, but one thing that was not good that he said was a few years ago that, that to, to essentially reach our culture, we need to unhitch the church from the Old Testament. And his, his sense was that, that the Old Testament's hard. And so if we want to reach people, we need to unhitch from it and stop focusing so much on these difficult parts of Scripture. That we need to make allies among the nations. But this can take other forms as well. People would say that the church needs allies among the nations. And so let's, let's just stop talking about the biblical sexual ethic. That the Bible lays out very clearly a sexual ethic. And the Bible says that God created sex in the beginning as a gift uh, to be expressed only in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. And the, the scripture considers anything outside of that sin. And maybe 20 years ago, that idea taught in scripture would have been considered um, prudish, kind of outmoded, overly restrictive, not helpful for human freedom. But today, in, in more recent times, that idea has been considered dangerous or deeply offensive or or bigoted, or something that should not be stated. And I think that often then the church can pick up on that idea and say, you know, that's true. Let's just stop talking about it. Uh, that let's drop talking about these controversial issues 
and let's focus on the positive aspects. Let's make allies among the nations by focusing on the things that are more easy to hear, and then that's the way that we can really reach people with the message of Christ. But this can take other forms as well, that people say the church needs allies among the nations, and so let's stop focusing on evangelism. Let's stop focusing on the preaching of the gospel that comes with this, this message of the truth claims of Christ that, that if it's true, excludes other things as being true. And they'll say, let's instead focus on, on serving the poor because that's something that everybody can get behind and then people will look to the church and say, look at the good that the church is doing. And of course, we are called to serve the poor. That is part of our mandate as the church. But Jesus wasn't crucified for, ser for serving the poor. He did serve the poor. But Jesus was crucified for claiming to be the eternal Son of God and the only way of salvation. And the early church wasn't persecuted for serving the poor. They did serve the poor, but they were persecuted for claiming Jesus is the way of salvation and that he is God. And that today, we can be tempted to reject the exclusive truth claims of the gospel to try to make allies with the nations. And you think that this is actually where the church would have learned its lessons over the ages. This is exactly what the church did at the very beginning of the 20th century. Uh, that there were many, especially in the American church, who, uh, as they were studying in especially Germany, uh, with this school of theology of called Protestant liberalism that was really championed in Germany in the 1800s, that they would come back from studying in Europe to their churches in America, and they said, we're entering the 20th century, we're, we're entering the age of science, and that, that, that modern man uh, cannot accept the supernatural claims of the Bible, claims of virgin birth, claims of bodily resurrection, and so what we need to do is take the, the central message of Christianity and siphon out the supernatural elements. And then what we'll do is we'll present the distilled message of the true historical Jesus to people. And this way, the church can continue to thrive and to prosper in the modern scientific world. And if we don't do that, the church is going to be relegated to the, the backwaters, that no one is going to pay attention to something in this modern scientific age. But then today, if you look at trends of declining of decline within the church, it is these churches that maybe 75 years ago said, we're going to walk away from the exclusive truth claims of Scripture. We're going to reject the supernatural. That is actually those churches that are declining most rapidly. Um, I heard an interesting um, presentation of that fact a few years ago at a church planting conference in Florida. Uh, there's a, a man named Ed Stetzer. He's a church planter, uh, and now he's a dean of mission, ministry, and leadership at Wheaton College. And he's done a lot of work looking at growth trends and declining trends in the church throughout the world. And one of the, the pieces that stood out to me in what he presented was that you'll hear sometimes from media that there's this rapid decline of Christianity. And that's true of religious attendance. But he said that often when they're looking at statistics of decline within the church, that they'll look at the church as this one homogenous unit. But they're not distinguishing churches that believe in the authority of scripture and the supernatural and the gospel from churches where that has been weakened, or the, what's called the mainline churches, the liberal Protestantism versus evangelical Bible-believing churches. And he was saying that maybe 30, 40 years ago, you would have the, the subset of people who say, we believe in the authority of scripture, we believe in the supernatural. The, the other subset that maybe attend church, but would say, yeah, I'm not so sure about the, the Bible and the truth claims of scripture. But they still tended to agree with the Bible-believing Christians on major cultural issues. But what's happened in the last few years is that that more the nominal group has essentially began to agree with the secular group. And there's a sense of, all right, if, if it's really just, if there's no supernatural, if it's really just about being a good person, if that's the central message of Jesus, why bother going to church? I can do that without going to church. 
And so within the evangelical Bible-believing church that there's been a lot less decline. Uh, some say that there's even been a slight increase actually through the church planting movement, but especially if you take the church throughout the world, if you look at the southern hemisphere where the gospel is exploding, where Christianity is spreading like wildfire, um, that it is not the palatable religion of Protestant liberalism, uh, theological liberalism that is spreading, but it's supernatural, rich biblical Christianity that, that holds to the truth of Scripture, that, that is what is spreading. And so you look at verse 10 again in your Bible at our text. It says, Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. And that, I think, is just so important for us to remember, that, that if we try to, to soften what Scripture says to make allies with the nations, that soon we will be gathered up. And, th and that's actually what we read in the New Testament. The book of James, chapter 4, verse 4, we read this. It says, he says, You adulterous people, do you, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so as we wrap up today, look again at verse 7. This is where we started. It says that they sow the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. And that's what we've been Describing that when we reject God in favor of human leaders, that we are sowing the wind. That when we reject God in favor of human religion, we are sowing the wind. When we reject God in favor of human allies, that we are sowing the wind. And if we sow the wind long enough, that eventually it says that we will reap the whirlwind. And then when we face that, that judgment, we'll have nothing to stand on that it'll be hot air, uh, that we, we, all we've sown is wind, nothing solid, nothing to stand on. But thankfully, that's actually why Jesus entered the world 2,000 years ago. In verse 12, we read that this is what God says, were I to write for him my law, my word, by the 10,000s, they would be regarded as a strange thing. And that's true, that as Scripture was written and the prophets, it was regarded as a strange thing. But eventually, in the fullness of time, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And even when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, He was regarded as a strange thing. That Jesus was rejected in favor of human leaders. He was rejected in, in favor of human religion human allies, people said that he's not the one that we want. And they crucified him and they hung him on the cross to die. But even as we are sowing the wind with the consequence that we should reap the whirlwind, that that is what this meal pictures for us. That is what the cross is about, that Jesus then takes the whirlwind on himself in our place, that we sow the wind, Jesus reaps the whirlwind for us. And so when we repent of our sins and, and trust in him, when we admit the way that we want to turn to human religion and human leaders and human allies, uh, when we say, no, Lord, I can't do it on my own, that our sin is counted to him on the cross, his righteousness is counted to us, that we are accepted, we are uh, brought into to relationship and, and fellowship with God, and then we can really say what they said in falsehood back in verse 3, um, or verse 2, rather. They said, my God, we, Israel, know you. And they said that falsely, but in Christ, we can say that truly, that, that my God, we, your church, know you because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, if you're here and you've, you've never repented and, and trusted in Jesus, we are, are thankful that you're here. Uh, we want anyone to be able to explore what Christianity is um, and to explore that at Hope Church to be welcoming and hospitable. But we'd encourage you to wait, to, to not come forward for this meal. Uh, and the purpose is not to exclude anyone, but to actually help protect people from a form of hypocrisy, which that's what it would be to take this without uh, believing. 
Uh, we also ask that, that small children who have not yet made a profession of faith wait as well until they uh, understand what this meal is about and we can celebrate their faith together when they take this for the first time. Uh, but for the rest, you don't have to be a member of Hope Church. You don't have to be a member of a Presbyterian church. But to be the one who is trusting in Jesus, knowing that he took the whirlwind in your place. You've made that public by being baptized, by being part of a, a church that preaches the gospel. And really one who can profess the faith that we hold. And so grab your bulletin again and turn to page 7. And you'll see the, the Nicene Creed there. And we're going to read this together. This is the summary, this ancient summary of the truth that we hold together throughout the ages. Read with me. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Because on the night that he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So come forward when you're ready, no particular order. Um, this is one of the gluten-free on this side, regular is on that side. Uh, return to your chair and then we'll take it together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy to us that is never failing, never ending, never giving up. And Lord, we know that you do lay out in Hosea these long chapters of, of judgment, but we know that, that we, we need these long chapters to remind us how much we need Christ uh, and to, to warn us lest we go the same way as Israel so long ago. Um, but today, Lord, we, we pray that we would look to you as our leader, that we would look to the religion that you have revealed, not to form a mental image of you, but to, to, to form the image of you that is revealed in Scripture, your self-revelation. Lord, we pray that we would worship you in the way that you have commanded, not just the way that we desire to worship you. Lord, we pray that we would be careful in the way that we make allies with the nations, with the world, um, that, that we would hold true um, to the written word, that, that we would hold true to the gospel, that we would hold true while loving and, and serving and pouring ourselves out for the sake of others. Um, Lord, that, that we would never, that we would be winsome, that we would speak the truth, but that we would speak it in love uh, Lord, we, we pray for our lives as we come to this meal. We, we come in awareness that we are 
not worthy to receive this, that we're not coming because we are better, because we've worked our way up, but actually it's the opposite, Lord, that we have sown the wind. But Lord, <clears throat> what we can reap is, is life and, and hope in Christ. And, and so we thank you for this, this picture of the life that, that Jesus poured out, that it would become our life, that we would cling to him more and more and be strengthened to serve him this week. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name. The body of Christ broken for you, take and eat. The blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of sins. So now if you look to the other side of the page, we'll sing, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart. And stand if you're able.
Appreciate you all being with us. Uh, reminder, you can always give online at explorehopechurch.org slash give, or you can put your gift into the box there on your way out. Uh, and also, reminder, you can put your cups uh, in the trash can there on the way out. And also, I'd love for all and any of you to stick around for fellowship after the, the service. Darlington is still asking us to keep our masks on in the space. Uh, but as we go, hear the, the Lord's benediction. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.